Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 260. Are you a small business owner using Infusionsoft who's struggling to figure out how to take your business to the next level? Well, I might have a solution for you. Head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash Infusionsoft to visit my campaign page and see the campaigns that I have seen successfully work time and time again for my clients. Again, that's thekimsutton.com forward slash Infusionsoft. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Aaron Hawkins. Aaron is the owner of Hawkins Leadership Solutions and is a great friend and also a mastermind friend of mine. And I can't wait until he jumps in and shares his better introduction. Aaron, I'm sorry, I didn't do you justice, <laughs> but you know, positive productivity. Uh, I don't nail, uh, so I nail the conversation, I hope. Kim, we're officially friends, so... You know, we don't need to formally introduce anyone, but I'm definitely grateful to be here. You got my name right, so that's a good start. Oh, yeah, that's a good day on positive productivity. I didn't have to ask, did I get it right? Of course you did. I just need to bring up, listeners, we're in a mastermind group together called the Unretireables because all the six of us that are in it so far are all passionate, heart-centered entrepreneurs who are about making an impact. And we know that, you know, no matter where we get in our entrepreneurial journey, we won't be able to retire from it because it's just such a passion of ours. But Roger Ramsuk, another former guest of the Positive Productivity Podcast is in there. And I have to say, the only reason I bring him up, Aaron, yep. is because even if he came on again, I had to think about how to properly pronounce his last name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, a, you know, it's funny. When he was, we actually, he was on my show, uh, gosh, a few weeks ago. And right before I hit record, I'm like, wait, Roger. I have no idea how to correctly pronounce your name. Like I had my own way of doing it, but I figured it'd be courteous to ask. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Well, now that you've brought up your show, I'd love for you to give your more proper, not proper, proper is not the right word. There's nothing proper about me and positive productivity. Your more official introduction to yourself, including about your podcast. Yeah. Th thanks, Kim. Um, well, my podcast is called Unbreakable Success. And, you know, it's essentially about sharing people's, all, all the guests that I have, sharing their journey from basically where they started out, whether it's an entrepreneurial journey or, or not, to the their journey to how, how they progressed to doing work that they love. Because people like you, the people I bring on my show are people that are that are loving what they do and they feel like a strong sense of meaning in what they do. They do work that gives them energy. And to me, like, you know, lots of people talk like to throw around the word purpose. And um, I was reading Mel Robbins book recently, and she had probably one of the best ways that I think we can think about purpose is what gives you what gives you energy, regardless of what it is. So that's what the show is about, because all of us and Kim, you and I both know are creating these businesses and these missions. It takes a lot of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stick to itiveness, <laughs> because things sometimes just intuitiveness. Yeah, you just got a tweetable, Aaron. Yeah, sometimes things just don't go the way we want them to go, and you know the the people that tend to keep pushing when things aren't going perfectly, they they're the ones that tend to succeed. And my show is about telling those stories and sharing the lessons ultimately, so that the listeners have a battery of resources to go to, regardless of what it is they're looking to succeed at, whether it's their health, their business, their relationships. 
that's what the show is all about is just succeeding in what they want to succeed in so thanks for letting me plug the show and uh glad definitely glad to be here oh you're so welcome i have to ask do you think that stick is a learned skill or one that we're born with I, th- no, I definitely think it's a, I think of it as a decision, huh. like just a decision. I, I don't know that we're born with it. I think some people are more naturally inclined to it. And I, I don't, I personally don't think of it as something that we're born with. I think that it may be something that's culturally developed, depending on your household and who you're around most of the time. And, you know, the values that kind of grow as, as the individual grows. But it's definitely something, in my opinion, that is... It's a decision and and it can definitely turn into a skill because obviously the more you do it, the more natural it will begin to feel. But it's it's definitely for me and and in my experience with people that I've interacted with, it's a it has to be a conscious decision. I mean, like you mentioned, Kim, that we're in a mastermind together and that part of the the great part of being in a group with people like that is we're all, you know, supporting each other to stick to it. When we're, you know, when we're frustrated or having a bad moment or we're just not sure which way to go, um, but we know that we have to keep on taking action. Um, Those are decisions that we're all making. I don't necessarily think it's just natural for for any of us. It took me 36 years to understand stick-to-itiveness. And I, you just said the cultural influence. I'm worried about my kids because I do have chronic idea disorder. And if I'm not careful, then they see me jumping from thing to thing. But in the last year and a half, I've made a conscious decision to stick to, and I can't say one thing because I get bored easily, but two things that I'm working on. And if I get bored with one of them, then I put it aside for the day and then I move on to the next. Mm -hmm. You've had quite an entrepreneurial journey. It's been insane. Yeah. (laughs) You mind sharing it with the audience? Yeah, well, it's probably, I will share it, yes. Um, To put it in context, I I think one of the things that's more unlikely about it is my entrepreneurial journey began while I already had a full-time career, like a a career, one of those those unicorn careers that still has a pension at the end of it. I've I've been a police officer since 1995, and I think I my first parlay into entrepreneurship was 1998, probably when I built my first website and that's back when nobody knew how to build one and they were charging. Remember those, day, those days where if you wanted to build a website, there were a handful of companies and, uh, but they would charge you like 200 bucks a month or something to host your website. It was insane compared to how things are today. But that was my, my first, I guess my, my first attempt to have my own business. And it was a website. Um, you're going to laugh at this one. It was a modeling website. Because at the time, my intention was to get into modeling and acting. We could talk about why, but I don't think the listeners want to know. You know you just perked up like all their ears. (laughs) They want to know now. You can't say that and then not go. So I, I built this website and I think it was something about how like, how, yes, you can model dot com or something like that. And but you know what? As ridiculous as it was uh, looking back, it was such a great learning experience. Uh, I was making just enough money off of it to to pay for the costs of running it. And I had it up for about a year or so. And then I, from there, I just kept going. I jumped from, you know, the modeling website. I did a little bit of modeling up in uh, New York. N- nothing. Do not go shot looking for magazines because I'm not. Well, actually, I wasn't in a couple, but they're not in print anymore. I did some uh, extra appearances on Law and Order, TV show Hack with. Uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Such a cool guy. Uh, what was it? Remember the show Saint Elsewhere? Yes. 
but I can't say I ever watched it. Oh, gosh. Okay, his name's going to pop in probably in 20 minutes. So if I just randomly say a, a name later on, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, uh, so I did a few shows like that. But then I jumped into, I sold golf greens. I started a landscaping business. And the big thing was, I was only, to be completely honest, with the exception of acting, I was only doing these things because I thought they would make me extra money. And Kim, you know, and I'm sure your listeners know how difficult it can be to run your own business and grow your own business. And if it's not important to you, it's ultimately going to fail because it's just too much effort and it's going to drain your energy. And that's that's what happened to me. So you can imagine I'm doing all these things while simultaneously working as a full-time police officer in New Jersey, um, the busiest town in our county. I was literally burning myself out and simultaneously driving my wife insane. And um, yeah, that, that, that kind of went on for a good decade or so. Uh, ultimately, in 2009, I had shut down the list. Probably the most successful business I had. Oh, and I was doing eBay sales too. So probably the most uh, successful business I was running was my landscaping business. I literally could not keep up with the work, but I ultimately had to shut it down because it was it was destroying me mentally and physically. And 2009, I collapsed. Well, I actually woke up at 1.30 in the morning with chest pain, thought I was having a heart attack. And it was confusing because as, as, as you can imagine, if you just wake up in the middle of the night, you're groggy, number one. But then to be in the worst physical pain you've ever felt in your life, it's really disorienting. Um, and I, I stood up, I tried to walk it off. And I ultimately realized that if I didn't if I didn't wake up my wife, because she was still sleeping next to me and our, our daughter was three at the time, she was down the hall. I kind of freaked out because I realized that they would find me in the morning if I was actually having a heart attack and if I didn't make it. So I woke Kathy up and... Um, as soon as she called the ambulance, as soon as she actually looked at me first and asked me, you know, I said, babe, you got to wake up. I, you got to call 911. I think I'm having a heart attack. And she jumped out of bed and looked at me and said, oh, my gosh, are you sure? And as soon as I, she said yes, I it felt like I had this big energy knob on my back that somebody just turned off, just turned it all the way down. And I collapsed at the foot of the bed. Couldn't see, couldn't hear. And I truly thought that I was going to die, Kim. And the crazy thing was, I didn't feel scared. I just felt regret because, you know, I was kind of sitting there saying, I can't believe this is it. Like, this can't be it. And I instantly started like verbalizing, not not realizing it, but I was verbalizing. I there's so much more I could do. There's so much more I could do is were, were the words that were just repeating in my head. And I'm realizing, man, I could have I could have been such a better husband, better father, better friend. Like all these opportunities, I just started seeing that I passed on because I was kind of just settling into what was comfortable, which sounds kind of weird because I was doing so much more, so many more things in comparison to other people. But as far as the person I was being, I was totally just settling. I wasn't trying to push myself to become anything more. I was just trying to make more money. And that that really, really stung. So, of course, as we all do in times of tragedy, I started making promises to God <laughs> about how awesome I would be <laughs> or how much better I would be if I made it. And I did and stayed in the hospital for a few days. But ultimately, I lived. And that's when things I knew something had changed and things started getting a lot, a lot different for me. And ultimately, that led me on this journey of growth and being a lot more self-aware. And ultimately, I wound up here with you, which is pretty cool. Wow. We've talked quite a few times before, but I don't think I'd ever heard the whole story. Yeah, it, it was... Did you have a heart attack here? No. The, ultimately, they found, they, when I got to the hospital, the, they very quickly ruled out a heart attack. 
they think I had a TIA, like a mini stroke. Um, so they did, man, I had no idea how many tests that actually existed because uh, I was in the hospital for two days, not because I wasn't physically functioning, because they were literally running tests around the clock for two days straight to try to figure out what happened. But ultimately, they, they think I may have had a mini stroke. Fortunately, I don't have any residual symptoms, no medications, nothing like that. I'm good to go. But that was a very humbling wake up call. It, it, it really really woke me up to the fact that I was just I was just trying this to fit in to be honest Kim I was just trying to fit in and be an average guy and stay in my stay in my lane so to speak and I think you know I, I don't think that's anything that's necessarily bad or out of the ordinary I think most people wherever they're born whatever they're born into we just tend to think that that's who we are and whatever class we're in financially socially and all those things many people in my experience just assume that that's their role because that's where they were born and that's that was what I thought I was supposed to be doing. But, you know, in those moments of <laughs> that moment of reflection where I'm realizing that's the end, I'm like, why was I settling for just trying to do what everyone else was doing? But that's that's in many cases the human experience, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. Aaron, I don't think I've shared this with you before. I did eBay for five years. No kidding. And oh, I wow. made all the worst mistakes that I possibly could have. <laughs> that was actually my first well, my first and second entrepreneurial journey, but the second time was all the worst mistakes. I was in it totally for the income and it got to the point I was selling scrapbooking supplies mm -hmm. and it got to the point that I had been contacted from a distributor who could get me products in a day if I ordered them when I ordered them. And wow. so I started going through their online catalog and posting everything that they had on eBay and on my website thinking, okay, if somebody orders, then I can order it and I'll have it within a day and I can ship it out. And it's within the time that I said I'll ship it. But yeah. I didn't think about it, Aaron. Some of these things were like papers and stickers. And yeah. if they ordered one sheet, I still had to buy a pack of 25 or 50. Yeah. And people were buying like one sheet of a hundred different styles of paper. Oh gosh. I went into massive debt. It's 10 years later now, and I'm still digging out of what that did to my credit score. Wow. Because I just dug myself in a deep hole. I couldn't pay off the credit cards. And by the end, I was making a quarter a day and that was without paying my credit card bills. You know, wow. so it, they just wouldn't have gotten paid. But I was totally in it for the income. I was thinking, how can I get bigger? Yeah. How can I get bigger? How can I get bigger? And it sucked. And I did it again with this business, not not with positive productivity, but after I became an entrepreneur again in 2012, I was doing what I thought everybody else was doing. And I was afraid about being authentic and transparent. Nobody wants to hear, like, I, I didn't think anybody would like me or respect me if I talked about my children or our struggles or anything that's going on around here. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you've seen But that's but that's what but that's what's endearing yeah. though. Right? I mean you've seen some of the best. Like on camera, listeners, just this week, the week of this recording, one of our other mastermind members was eating popcorn, Brian Felchuk. <laughs> episode, and it made me hungry. So I asked my daughter to go make popcorn for me. Children, if you're listening. Aaron, I found out what he did. He did not read the this side up on the popcorn bag. He had no idea that there was a this side up. So he put it in upside down and he didn't start a fire, but it was pretty close. Like the house still smells, Aaron. <laughs> there is no smell like burnt microwave popcorn smell. But it's three that days just lasts. Later, and it smells yeah. like burnt popcorn. 
<laughs> you, it was definitely the entertainment of that particular session. That was that was pretty cool. Why is it always on me though? <laughs> like seri- <laughs> seriously, it's in my in my children. But anyway, yeah, it was. I'm gonna call your experience like a a slap from God to wake up. Yeah, I was totally a head slap. I mean, really was a head slap. And I'm grateful for it. And it's so it's and and it frustrates me to even think about that it happened because I'm thinking to myself and it's funny, a couple of years later, I was watching, uh, I don't remember where it was, but it was a, a clip from Tony Robbins who was saying, when do people finally decide they're going to change their life? It's when they're about to die. When they think they're about to die, then, <laughs> then suddenly they're like, wait, 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 I can be better. I can do more. I'm not going to settle and fit in and, and do all this tri- these trivial things. And it was so true. I was, it, I was so embarrassed watching it because I'm like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that was me. You know, it took that to kind of wake me up. But it's, But I think it's a good thing because... Fortunately, at least for me, I took it as a sign that, you know, not only do I need to change, did I need to change what I was doing, I, I knew I had the opportunity to pay that message forward. And I'm really, really, uh, it's it's my intention to do that, to, to pay that message forward and just support others who kind of are in that, that place where they're kind of stuck. So it's, it's a good thing. You know, if I had to go through that to help somebody out there and totally cool, you know, I'm fine with that. I love that. And I feel the same way. I mean, it's, we were chatting a little bit pre-chat. We were discussing a win possibly for us both this week. I'm not going to say anything about it yet. Listeners, tune in. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll hear about it in the future. However, my husband started crying last night because he's, he started to see yeah. the, the possible payoff of all this hard work. And my yeah. husband, too, has been a victim of, you know, being cast aside because of, well, he saw the back of my head for four years. You know, I was so hard at it trying to make money. And I didn't care about making, well, it's not that I didn't care about making an impact. I think that's where a lot of us get confused. It's not that we don't care. It's just we don't realize that we can't. Yeah, absolutely. Because money is the goal and its impact is way on the side. Erin, can you share some of the impact and in, in what you're doing in your current business with the listeners? Like, and I know what some of the projects that you're working on, but can you share those? Yeah, I some of the impact and it's it's one of those things. It's funny when you realize you know to actually talk about what your what kind of impact you're having. It kind of kind of feels icky to say, well, this is what my product will do for you. <laughs> it's like infomercial time, but but honestly, uh, probably the best way to explain that is when I started this. Uh, when I ultimately started my website, AaronKeithHawkins.com, um, like I said, I was still working uh, as a police officer. It's a 25 year career. So I was, this was 2000, 2009 is when the incident happened, uh, the, at least the medical incident with me. So following that, I had no idea. It's not like this light bulb came on and I suddenly had my purpose and vision clearly in front of me. I did not. It was like a total, like, now what? <laughs> so I knew I needed to do something different. But I had no idea what that different was. So I wound up going back to college, finishing my degree. I, for the first time in my life, you mentioned it took you 36 years to kind of reach a, a place of, you know, somewhat uh, clarity. It took me 36 years to even realize that personal development was a thing. Like I had no idea about, you know, I was a good guy. Don't get me wrong. But as far as like actually intentionally learning and reading about, you know, the psychology behind personal growth as an individual, I didn't do it until after that event. So I wound up taking a Tony Robbins course, which led to, you know, a avalanche, for lack of a better word, of books that I just kept reading and reading and reading and felt really 
passionate about, and it changed my life, my marriage. I've been married for 21 years now. It started changing everything, literally. And so what happened for me was in my law enforcement career, and I'm still in it, I'm a, I'm a captain now uh, here in Jersey. Um, in my career, the thing I, that I enjoyed the most, that gave me the most energy, to use that word again, was teaching. And I realized very quickly, one of my strengths was teaching and coaching people in my career. I was, I was a one-on-one trainer. When the, you know, when the rookies came out of the police academy, they got assigned to me for 14 weeks to drive around and show them how to do things. I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy, but I love teaching and sharing. Well, when, you know, post, as you can imagine, after this event happened, and I started learning about how to be, to risk using a cliche, a better version of me. I realized I would love to teach these things, which led me to creating my website and led me ultimately to realizing that, you know, podcasting would be a great platform to reach, to really maximize my reach. And then I could also do coaching uh, individual coaching, as far as life coaching, relationship coaching, in addition to that. And as you can imagine, the people on my job that, well, you only survive law enforcement with a sense of humor. Like you have to pick on each other. It's like a rule, right? Because <laughs> there's so much tragedy. If you're not laughing at, at each other, you're, you're going to drive yourself nuts. So of course I got teased a ton about my website, but to answer, to that's a roundabout way to get to answering your question, Kim, because I started getting feedback. Like aside from the ribbing and joking about, you know, uh, your motivational speaker guy, I started getting sincere feedback about what a difference my writing was making, my podcast was making in these people's lives. And these weren't even clients. These were people that have known me for years, but they would individually and quietly pull me aside and start thanking me for challenging the way they were thinking about things. And I began kind of informally coaching some people on the side. And then I started formally coaching some people. And, you know, the the impact that it can have when we think there's a certain ceiling to who it is we can become. When you kind of take the lid off of that and realize that, you know, your relationship isn't what it is because it has to be that way. It's what it is because that's the way the two people in it have been interacting. And a career doesn't have to be what it is because that's the way it has to be. It's because of our interaction with it. It's definitely something that, like, I didn't become captain because I was that great and it was just my destiny. I had to eat some humble pie and recognize what I wasn't giving to my efforts in my own professional development. And when I changed that, my results started changing, you know, in my in my marriage, because I'd rather use myself as an example, you know, my wife and I, as you can imagine, 21 years, everybody has struggles. But when I started really attempting to eat my humble pie and pay attention to who I was being and how much I was even bothering to learn about the psychology of relationships, when that changed and I elevated that and I really started taking the ego off and stopped trying to defend myself so much, it changed everything. Not only did it change the way I started interacting with my wife, it's reciprocal. And we really started, instead of pinging off each other in those moments that would normally lead to a little bit of tension, we'd start pinging off each other and decreasing our tension. And it's happened over and over with the people I've been able to work with. Their, their relationships evolved to something that they totally didn't think would happen. Their careers evolved into something that they didn't think it could be. And it's totally a a mindset game. And I love to think of it as a game because you can learn how to play a game better. And that's that's the joy of it. That's what gives me energy. 
And it really took a long time to answer that question in a roundabout way. So thank you for your patience. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, I have an issue with interrupting. I don't know if I've ever shared it on the podcast before. My New Year's resolution, it's probably one of the few that I ever made in 2017 uh-huh. or 2016. I don't remember what year was to try to stop interrupting. See, that almost backfired because I was almost going to keep talking until you said something. <laughs> hey, I'm, I am not perfect. I, I broke that resolution just because sometimes so I'm just going to say it. Damn, near impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. That's one of my biggest challenges on, on my show, too. I, I never quite know where. I don't know. I'm like, wait, do they want me to interrupt now? I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what I'm struggling with? I'm just putting this out there. Positive productivity listeners, you know, is not about perfection and there is no flow. But what happens, Erin, when I, you know, if there comes that day when somebody wants to buy a mid-roll ad spot, do I just interrupt you in the middle of your story? You know? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Erin, we got a break for the mid-roll sponsor. Well, you know, there's there's emergency broadcast buttons that that loud beep. You just got to get one of those. Oh, (laughs) this is funny. Okay. I just. This is the only time that I've ever done this, but I just need to do it. <laughs> I could just, I don't know how to shut it you off. You just now. answered your well, own question. That's perfect. Cause it's actually calming. It's like, wait, I suddenly feel relaxed with this interruption. Did you hear the piano? <laughs> I did. I did. It's pretty cool. I'm so sorry, listeners. I just had to do it. You know, you put buttons in front of somebody and they just have to be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've never done that before. I feel like a little child. Zencaster, the plug for you. I've never pushed all your buttons at the top before. <laughs> this is a completely different style of positive productivity podcast. I'm having fun with this. I mean, it's not completely different, but this is a blast. I'm blaming you ahead of time for ruining my show because I'm definitely going to be getting one of these and just start doing it randomly. <laughs> <laughs> And there's like a plus button up here where I can add additional buttons. I don't know if you just heard Positive Productivity Podcast, the cat's knocking soda cans off the shelf in the kitchen. Listeners, I gave up soda about two months ago. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been such a struggle. I mean, I haven't given up coffee yet because that I tried the same day as I gave up soda. I know this has nothing to do with what we were talking about, perpetual tangent story disorder. (laughs) But yeah, I just heard the cans go off the counter. That's probably one of my only pet peeves in my house with my family right now is they leave the soda cans on the counter instead of just taking them out to the garage. But hey, if that's the worst thing that happens around here, then I will gladly embrace that. I'm go- I'm not going to admit I ever do that, but I do. I did it too. Yeah, it's I tough. did it too. Is this, did the soda thing get easier or is it getting easier? It's been a couple months now. Oh, it actually does. It gets a lot easier because, so I gave it up two months ago. Mm-hmm. I did have a soda this is going to date this episode, so I apologize, but I did have a soda on Christmas Eve, which was what, three weeks ago now. And it was so sweet that I couldn't drink it. Yeah. But I've been making other changes too, like not eating so much junk and Mm -hmm. sugar. I had gestational diabetes with, Mm. with my last two pregnancies. And I find that when I eat a lot of sugar, listeners, just bear with me for a second. I find that when I eat a lot of sugar, my feet get really hot. So I really had to be careful about my carb intake, which is really hard for me because I love carbs. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love carbs? Yeah. So if just getting, and it's Mountain Dew, so it's like, that's the house choice soda. So super, super sugar. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, a lot. I don't miss it though. 
Yeah, I, I don't even know when I gave up soda. Like, it's been that long ago. Not that I've never, ever, ever, ever had soda, but the only time I really have it in a house is to splash some. If, if it's, you know, weekend or we're having a party and I want to mix a drink with a splash of Pepsi or something. But other than that, I don't drink it because, like you said, the sweetness is, uh, it's definitely too much for me now. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Mountain Dew. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish my kids would give it up, but. And I guess I have the authority to make that decision, but listeners, you can give me your comments about that. I know it's my choice, but I actually, about kids, I want to back up to something that you said about, it took you 36 years to, or 30 something years to learn about personal development. Yeah. You, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I got a little like bright light in my head when you said that. I think this is something that should be taught in schools. Absolutely. I didn't know a thing about personal development, law of attraction, Tony Robbins. Like I, I wasn't introduced to Tony Robbins until actually, coincidentally, 2009. Oh, wow. That's funny. Yeah. I lost my job as an interior architect in 2008. And in 2009, somebody that I was networking with introduced me. And I didn't know that that whole world was out there. And how old was I? I'm giving away my age. Holy moly. I was 30. Okay. I had gone through the first 30 years of my life in a state of unhappiness. And it's not because the people around me were necessarily unhappy or miserable, but I'd never realized that I had the right to be happy and to choose, you know, and to do more. And I grew up in a house, in a family where college education was just part of how we grew up, you know? Yeah. But I, there's so much more. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish my children see me reading all the time. And I just want to say, read this. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think children would understand? I mean, teenagers, do you think high schoolers would understand if we put it onto them to read these books? Or do you think it really is something that they need to wait until their 30s or their 20s or when they're ready? I definitely think it's something it's 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 really well, number one, it's the synchronicity. It's pretty cool that 2009 is when you first got introduced to it, because that's the year it was December of 2009 when that my, that incident happened with me. That's when I first started uh, getting into it. Um, one of the first things that one of the first ideas that popped into my head, the more I started reading and listening to a lot of these different thought leaders was why isn't this stuff taught in schools? Like we teach the subjects and, you know, if you go to a private school, you get taught whatever faith-based religion stuff is is taught in those schools. But to me, everything I I was reading was about, A, it was about personal character, regardless of any, you know, religious or higher power beliefs. It was just about who you were being as a person and, and and approaching that as a decision as opposed to you know, this is how I'm feeling right now. So I'm just going to lash out and react to it. To me, it was an introduction of choosing a lifestyle and choosing what experiences we were going to create, what emotions we were going to feel, what our relationships were going to be like, what our influence was going to be like, like all the things that I teach now, it was that moment was my introduction into realizing that those were actually things that can be taught. So to answer your question, I definitely think that children as young as uh, even before high school and elementary school, you know, teaching someone about what it's like to engage and create, engage, for example, to, to engage in a conversation and have it end positively. I definitely think that's something that children could do. My daughter's 11 and it's the weirdest thing that, you know, you mentioned, you just want to say, read this, you know, when you're reading a book. My daughter never has read, to my knowledge, she, she likes to read, but she's never read anything geared towards personal growth. But 
she has this she's like the sage in the house <laughs> like she it's it's scary like i i feel like she could there's so much that she can teach me she has this calm demeanor like i i can be in a she can see someone in a disagreement and she'll totally just off the cuff explain how it could have been resolved better and i don't know if I, i'm well i assume she has to just be kind of intuitively picking that stuff up you know hopefully by watching my wife and i but it's definitely something that can be learned because I've seen it being learned. And I know there's programs uh, out there in, in some schools geared towards that that personal development angle. Yeah, it, it, it needs to happen. We may need to look into that. Yeah. You and I. Yeah. That, honestly, it, it, it is. It's something that it's something that is honestly, um, I know I'm assuming uh, you and I are the type of people that have things on their on their list, so to speak. And that's one of the things on my list that, that I'm curious about seeing what can be done about things like that because it's so simple because you know it's not even an argument about you know there's some people that think that morals should be taught in schools and i don't even think this is a moral issue and it's certainly not a, a religious issue it's just a it's a character issue and i don't see any downside of teaching character issues to anyone really no but you bring in personal development and you bring in mindset into the schools i mean i can tell you that i don't remember one speaker I, oh, I don't remember any speakers actually when I was in high school or middle school. Yeah. But you bring in one who has an impact on a bully, for instance, and you start to give them something to think about, about how they can change their own mindset. And all of a sudden you've changed a whole dynamic of the school because maybe that child stops bullying others. So maybe those others stop having their miserable days. And I, I hate to bring this up into the Positive Productivity Podcast, but so many of the bullies are... I mean, they're they're just creating misery for these other children who now turn around and don't know how to get their own mindset fixed. Yeah. So they see no other choice but to do the worst to themselves. Yeah. yeah. And just giving that foundational education or inspiration and motivation to these children would set off a whole domino effect. Absolutely. That could go any school leaders. I think Aaron and I have just volunteered to come speak at your schools and start helping out with this. Totally. Yeah. And and I know it's done on, on different different levels. Like my daughter was um she started going to karate when she was three years old. That sounds nuts to say it out loud now, but she was three. She had her black belt by the time she was eight. But one of the instructors at the school Wait, she had her black belt by the time she was eight. Yeah, when she was eight years old, she got her black belt wow. in she turned eight in February and she got her black belt in April. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's it's pretty neat to see. That uh, I was in tears that day. I'd never seen somebody work so hard. If for those that don't know, when to get a black belt it doesn't matter how old you are. The The test lasts for hours and it is a physically grueling test in watching her like going through all these motions and these forms and these push-ups and stuff. You want to talk about being led to tears, not in a, it wasn't a, like a mean type of grueling thing. It was just physically demanding. I never in my life before that day or since have seen her so physically exhausted. I was so proud of her. I'm getting choked up thinking about it now. But anyway, <laughs> my, my point was not to brag about my daughter. It was to bring up that uh, one of her instructors actually teaches, a, he teaches a bullying program in schools. It's just something he does. So he goes around and contacts schools and teaches that type of thing. So it's definitely something that can be introduced, I'm sure, in some way, shape or form in schools. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you there, Kim. It's definitely... There's so much value to be had by that. And it's definitely needed these days with, I mean, no, nobody needs to be told how much tragedy is out there. We, we are, if something bad happens that, you know, our society makes sure we all sees it, we all see it and hear about it and 
full high definition. Oh, yeah. Actually, I've started removing myself from social media. I am on Facebook and Twitter and well, all the above. But my time spent on any of the above is very limited because there's just so much negativity. And I've actually started unfollowing, not unfriending, but unfollowing people on Facebook who didn't have anything well, I'm not saying that they never had anything positive to say, but when your negativity crosses my Facebook feed, that is instant unfollow. Yeah, it's a bit much. Yeah. I know relationships is one of the areas of coaching that you're working on Yeah, right now. Would you mind sharing more about that? Yeah, definitely. I, if there's anything that I think is... If, someone, if you were to ask me, what do you think is one of the most important keys in personal development? It, it has to be relationships. It, it has to be. Because whether you're in business or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, like our lives, unless we are intentionally living in complete seclusion, and even then it's a relationship with yourself, our lives are about relationships. It's human interaction with your clients, with your peers, with all that stuff. So for me, I, I, I've both personally experienced the benefits of really taking a hard look at how each of us individually can create the nature of our relationships on a broad scale and, you know, in our specific marital or, or intimate relationships. And it really comes down to some things that a lot of people don't like to, or I shouldn't say don't like to, they don't necessarily think about. One of those things being that it's really up to us, like all of us. And I've, trust me, I say this because I've been there. It's so normal and easy and understandable to think that if there's problems in a relationship, regardless of where it is, you know, it's it's easy to point out all the things. We have a tendency to point out what we want to see that other person do differently or what we want to change about that person. But it's kind of like yelling at a driver in the other lane. Like you don't have their steering wheel. <laughs> so, so the anxiety and stress that so many of us put on ourselves trying to control somebody else's steering wheel, it just does, steering wheel, it just doesn't work. It's, we can only do what we do. And it's, and it's in its purest form, relationships aren't about control, they're about influence. And when we realize that with me and my coaching, what I focus on is, is helping people understand that, you know, fixing a relationship isn't going to happen by getting better at controlling what somebody else does or getting better at making demands, it stems from getting better at influence. And, you know, what actions can I take will influence how somebody reacts to me. So if I want to have a better relationship with, with you, Kim, as, as a peer and as, and as a friend, it's my job to understand, A, am I taking care of myself so I can focus on you from a good, healthy state? Self-care is something that gets totally overlooked. Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we're probably not going to do a good job of, of taking care of somebody else. And then I got to understand what's important to you and how I can support and how I can help and how I can do it without demanding something in return. Because, you know, authenticity, you know, if, if we're if we're in our relationships and we're doing all these things, which is something that I hear a lot, you know, when I meet with clients that, you know, this I get the laundry list of things that they do, which are great things and loving things that they do. But then it's followed up with, and because I do all these things, why can't they just X, Y, and Z? And that's one of the big components, because if we're really going to be authentically in a relationship, it's going to be from a place of who am I and how am I going to interact and give to this person without expecting something in return, knowing that eventually, if I'm really authentic and I'm really being loving and I'm really 
in this relationship with the intention to give, the good things will come back. They just will. Influence just works. Will it always work in the way you expect it to? No, but on a broad scale, it'll definitely, definitely work. So uh, relationships, from my experience, are, are definitely just about the perspective of influence and giving with both hands, so to speak. You know, giving, giving, because, <laughs> avoiding the, the instinct to give with one hand and then have the other hand out waiting for something in return. If you just give the gift with both hands, you're not worried about what's coming back. You know that that stuff will take care of itself. And it has, definitely has with in my life and, and certainly is one of the, the biggest thank yous I get from clients when I get them is, wow, I've never thought of it this way and I didn't expect this to work, but it does. Wow. I'm sort of speechless because my husband and I were actually just discussing something similar last night. I feel very blessed by, and I brought this up earlier in the episode, by some of the things that are happening right now in my business. Mm -hmm. And I was just talking to my husband about why it's happening. And I'm not saying that it's not deserved, but I don't, I don't go around with that mentality at all. But what right do I have for this? And he said, well, it's, this is sounding very conceited. I don't mean it this way at all, Aaron, but he says it's because you give and you're not out there with one hand out giving and the other one expecting like you're, you're giving, giving, giving. And that's a big thing that's changed for me. Like every relationship that I have right now is not about what I can get out of it, but it's what I can give. And that, that came with the big shift in going from income to impact. How can I help you? Yeah. I don't care what I, get back. But how can I help? And it's produced so many incredible relationships. Listeners, I just need to share that the first conversation that Aaron and I ever had, Brian Felchuk had introduced us. And again, I'm going to link to his episode in the in the show notes, which you can find at thatcamsutton.com forward slash PP260. But the first time Aaron and I ever had a phone call, Aaron and I started talking about, I, I think you had just had back surgery, Aaron? Yeah. Yep. And we started actually talking. I shared the story about my husband who has a, a ruptured disc and a herniated disc. And Aaron actually gave the name of his back surgeon, who my husband is now talking to to get his surgery. And it has impacted our life so much. And it was just a whole conversation about giving. And I think if memory serves, we didn't even talk about business, that whole conversation. No, not really. We got on to talk to each other about what we were doing and we ended up just talking about life. And it was so incredible that we made another call for later that week and it's just gone from there. And it's been amazing because it was never any expectation of what can I get, but so much was given. I have to say mostly on your side, so much was given that first conversation <laughs> that I was just blown away. Yeah. And, and I honestly, Kim, I feel the same way. We eventually started talking about other things, but I'm sure that's why we connected so well, because we kind of were, we had seen, it was obvious that we had reached a point where we were both coming sort of from the same place. But to, to your listeners, I know, again, and I, and I, hate, I hate to say I know, because it, like you said, kind of sounds a little conceited. I empathize when people are in a place where they feel like they need to make sure they're getting what they need to survive in one of the one of the most difficult but most rewarding shifts that I I've made in my business and personal life was letting go of the return. Because so often we all want to survive. We all have bills to pay. We all want to save our relationships. We all want to save our reputations, all those things. But 
I promise you, when you start interacting with life from a place of what's the best thing I can give to any situation, just submit to that. Just give. And, and, and I'm not talking about emptying your bank account to anybody who asks for it. That's not what I'm talking about. But just as a person and what you can offer to someone sincerely, you don't have to worry about what comes back. And, and Kim, I know you've seen this because I, I see the work you're doing and, and, and I see the the network of people that you're surrounding yourself with. And I'm so grateful to be part of it. It's because you're just looking, you're interacting with people from a place of this is what I'm doing and this is what's important to me. What's important to you and how can I help you do it? That will change your business, I promise you. Totally promise you. I, I have I get more emails in my inbox now for, you know, people that want to collaborate with me or help me out. Not because I'm so special, they just it comes back. Not strategically. And I, that's probably the the best way to look at it, Kim. And, and I'd, I'd love to know how you think about this. A lot of people think that they need to strategically network. And my dog's agreeing right now, if you hear that barking. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, that's, that's Micah. He's seconding that opinion. So many people get caught up in this place of trying to strategically network. And, okay, who do I need to network with? And what do I need to say? And how can I come at them with an angle that'll have them let me do this thing or have them get me on their show? And no matter how good somebody might get at that, it's so obvious. It is so obvious when you, and Kim, tell me if you ever got one of these emails that was attempting to sound like they wanted to help you, but you read right through it. And I hate to sound like that, but it really does. And, and I've been guilty of it myself. Oh, more than a few. Yeah. It, it, and even it makes a big difference. Facebook messages. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, but my point is just, if, if you submit to just, just giving and just be genuine and don't expect anything and don't keep track of, you know, the favors or, you know, if you give somebody a shout out, just, just let it all go. Give because it's who you are. Just because it's who you are. When you give because that's that's who you are and that's what's important to you, you know, you really won't have to worry about anything else in the long run. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> I love it. Actually, one of the things that I did in the last couple of years was I started having virtual coffee with people I didn't know very well. So I send out personalized connection requests on LinkedIn and then there's a, and I'm not going to deny it all. Uh, there's a email that I already have composed that goes out afterwards, letting the person know about me and inviting them to a virtual coffee. Yes, it is cu cut and paste. Just put the new person's name in. Hey, I have to be smart. I've got five kids and two businesses. You know, I have to preserve my time. However, I had a few people who were surprised that when we got on that virtual coffee, it wasn't at all about me telling, pushing my services, telling them about what I do. It's more about, I wanted to get to know them and let them talk as much as they wanted to. Listening instead of talking and seeing how I could help. And I mean, I have chronic idea disorder, so I am constantly, you just start talking to me and I've got 50,000 ideas that I could just blurt out at any second. And from those virtual coffees have come so many incredible conversations. I mean, Dave Clare, one of the earlier episodes, I've never referred to so many episodes before in an episode, but Dave Clare and I were um, a virtual coffee that was just supposed to be a half hour call and turned into an hour and a half, which turned into a podcast, which turned into an ongoing relationship. And there's never been an exchange of money, nor do I know if there ever will mm -hmm. be, but it's all about yep. benefiting each other. Yep. Makes a big difference. Yeah. Erin, this has been such an incredible conversation. You will be coming back. That's not an invitation that is a demand. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You got it. I promise. <laughs> could you please share where listeners could find you online and get in touch with you? Yeah, totally. Um, I'll, I'll keep it really easy. You can always find me and what I'm up to at AaronKeithHawkins.com. 
uh, yeah, Kim, for everybody that's listening to your show and to the listeners out there, if anybody wants to have a session with me, it's with no pitching, no weirdness, no marketing stuff behind it. Uh, if you go to AaronKeithHawkins.com forward slash Y-O-U, like you, you can apply for a coaching call and just mention that you heard me on Kim's show. And it, it, it appears as an application as if you may or may not get a session with me. But if you mention Kim, you're in because that's all the filtering I need if you're one of Kim's listeners. So yeah, that's it. AaronKeithHawkins.com. If you want to get in touch to have a little session, AaronKeithHawkins.com forward slash Y-O-U. That's it. That's so generous. Thank you so much, Aaron. If you're driving or if you can't write that down right now, you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP260 to get those links. Aaron, do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially in the entrepreneurial world, we can get caught up in what we need to do next. Um, my, my, the best piece of advice I can give is to shift that from what do I need to do to who do I need to be? Um, because that will lead to the answers that you really need. Mm-hmm.